0: Welcome to Grace Story Podcast. We're here to connect you with education, resources, and community that equip you for the journey of restoration. My name is Nate Davison, and I am your host here at Grace Story Podcast. Uh, Just before we jump in, whatever platform you're joining the conversation from today, uh, we'd love for you to subscribe, download, uh, leave a five-star review, and follow us. Those reviews, they help out so much in spreading the word. About this podcast and all the content we share here. Uh, so go ahead and do that. Uh, the, the podcast episode we have today, we're building on an episode that we have had in the past. Uh, if you want to, if you haven't listened to Unmasking the Hidden Influences, How Your Past Shapes Your Faith, go ahead and go find that and listen to it. Uh, watch it, if you will. Uh, in that episode, some of the content in there is the foundation. For what we're going to be talking about and before i give you kind of a brief overview of what that episode was about I want to bring in uh, dr barber uh, to the show you're back on the show welcome back dr barber oh thank you it's good to be here and we had that episode uh unmasking uh really talking about past experiences how they have a profound impact on our our beliefs our faith journey we also talked about that concept of imago dea uh, reminding us that we are made in the image of God. Uh, we're called to reflect his character, really bridging into, again, what we're going to talk about today uh, about spiritual formation. Um, we would also talked about four key categories of experiences, the choices that shape our sense of self, uh, mediated experiences, interpersonal, intrapersonal, um, and life experiences, all those, again, understanding them helps us understand how we can deepen our relationship with God. Talked about the negative events, the traumas that influence our view of God. Um, and then at the end, we talked about practical steps such as self-reflection, intentional choices, guidance, uh, embracing faith, really grounded in God's love, God's grace, rather than some of those other views we talked about, uh, authoritarian, uh, distant, some of those other ones. So if you haven't listened to that episode, uh, unmasking the hidden influences how our past uh, your past shapes your faith. Make sure you can go back and do that. But in this episode, we want to really dig deep into understanding spiritual formation, um where we're becoming more like Christ, navigating that process of spiritual formation. And for that, I, th- I it's really important that you know, the, in the world there's different definitions for a lot of things. Uh, people will say a word it means one thing to them one thing for another and it can really throw your conversation off the rail so for this i think it's important that we start with a good understanding a good definition as we're trying to understand rather spiritual formation defining what we mean by spiritual formation so i'll kick it off uh, over to you dr barber just what is a definition that we should be thinking about uh, for spiritual formation as we move through this particular episode
1: uh well a a simple uh, but i think accurate definition is offered by robert mulholland who uh, is an author Um, he says that spiritual formation is the process of being conformed to the image of christ for the sake of others Hmm. and so there are four key elements to that it is a process and um, we think about this, particularly if we think about some of the things we talked about in the, in the other podcast uh, about our hidden, the hidden forces that are at work and shaping us. Uh, we have been being shaped and conformed all of our lives, and we will continue to be so. In the spiritual life, um, being conformed takes on some different nuances. We think about crisis events and crisis events are critical. They're very important to, to the process. Uh, they move us forward in some fantastic and sometimes remarkable ways. Uh, but that doesn't take away from the process that is still there. And so we're continuing to build upon what that crisis event has given to us. Um, so we are, it's a process of being conformed. We have a goal to which we are working, and that's to be as much Uh, living our life in a reflection of Christ as is possible. He is our model. He is our guide. Uh, He is is there for us to help us, lead us. Scripture is there for us to help us. Countless many people down through the centuries have been there for us to help us in that process of being conformed to Christ. Um, So... Uh, The process of being conformed to the image of Christ for the sake of others. Uh, Just as Jesus came and lived his life on earth uh, for the purpose of paying the penalty of our sins, Mm -hmm. um, we have a purpose, and that is to live for God and to serve him and to continue on the ministry and the message that Christ has to reach the world. And so with that, and I know we talked about kind of the humility
0: of the process as well as we're serving others. Uh, I think about, um, you know, Christ himself, when he was describing himself, it says gentle and lowly, not that, you know, he's beneath anyone, but he's humble. And in that same, we talk a lot of on this episode, on this podcast, about being in the same as position as others, not one Mm -hmm. up, not one down, just humble and serving, but in the same as capacity. Um, as we' we're, as we're talking about this, I, I think it can be that that part you put on at the end might be uh, troublesome for some of you know, not necessarily, but as we're thinking about spiritual formation, yes, I understand I'm becoming like Christ, but I think of it. Uh, some may think of it as to glorify God, uh, maybe not to serve others solely. Uh, where, where can you can you define that a little bit more of mm-hmm. serving others glorifying God through the process because we talk about Christian perfection that's a whole other uh, episode we can go into as well mm-hmm. and with its you know detractors of scrupulosity we have episodes on that mm-hmm. but as we're talking about this definition just so we're on the same page of glorifying God serving others both and one or the other how does it look? It's
1: both and I don't think it's I don't think it's either or I think it's both and uh god is certainly worthy of our praise and honor and and to do all that we can to to honor him and that's where worship comes into play and in just a uh, lifestyle and uh, the sacrifices that we make in terms of supporting the church and ministry and such those are all god-directed god-honoring components of of this process um but for the sake of others, Uh, when we get to that point, then I think one of the key ways to think about that is, what did Jesus do? Jesus didn't come, he didn't leave heaven's throne and and come to earth to have a party. You know, uh, Paul tells us in in, uh, Philippians 2, you know, he emptied himself of all but love, became obedient, even to the point of death. Uh, and so uh, willing to pay excuse me willing to pay the price willing willing to live the life that the father had had um commissioned him with and and it was tough for him sweating drops of blood in Gethsemane it was difficult for him but this was something that he knew that the father wanted and it was it was the plan so it's Nate, it's not either or, it's both and. Uh, and I think when we do, for me at least, I'll, I'll say it you know that way to, to qualifier on there, but, but for me at least, um, when I am best reaching out to other people in the hopes of being able to influence them toward giving their life to God and, and serving God, then I am honoring God mm-hmm. in the best way that I can. Well, I notice
0: as you're talking there, it's also another way of reflecting God's image in that the Trinity uh, is all about relationship mm-hmm. and there as well. It's about community yes. and relationship. Um, as we're talking about this too, we talk about being humble in the process and the antonym of that is being prideful in the process. Right. And, you know, there's, there's those crisis moments along the way, where one could, uh, and, and this is a biblical concept, stumble on their own pride of their achievements uh, uh, in, in, uh, in their Christ, uh, their, their journey to be Christ-like. How do we maybe move from that uh, uh, and, and create an absence of pride? And how does that contribute to the process of, of
1: Christian spiritual formation? Great question. Wish I had an answer. <laughs> 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 my my major uh, theology professor in in uh, my undergraduate program. Uh, this was a topic that he talked about quite often. Um, Turfack like Nazarene College, H. Ray Dunning, mar- marvelous man, incredible teacher. And uh, when we came to the topic of talking about what we call in you know our tradition second blessed holiness. Mm-hmm. Uh, he would talk about that and and he he hit all the key points about about um, our hearts being perfected in love and and uh, the empowering of the spirit that comes with, along with that and you know he hit all the key points for that but the one thing that he said that really stuck with me and I think probably with some of the other, many of the other students as well is when you know what does it mean to be perfect hmm. his response again, yeah. His response was, we are now perfect to live the Christian life. It doesn't mean performance. It means we are equipped with everything that we need. We are empowered with everything that we need. Uh, We have that continual presence if we foster that. Uh, There are people, I think, that fall away uh, because they start coasting and that's where the spiritual pride and, and such it comes in, unfortunately, for some people. But, you know, both, both our salvation experience and our sanctification experience um, are, are works of grace that God will perform within our hearts and our lives in the goal that He equips us with what we need to serve Him to the best of our ability. And um, Dr. Dunning and many others would say, you know, our, you know that's those are certainly two very important key elements. But it's not the whole story. You know, we continue to grow, and and that is there is such an incredibly rich tradition that goes back literally to the days of Jesus, and and there are um, there's books written about that about the tradition of holiness that is that, that thread that has always been there. Uh, And uh, it more times than not is um, both a combination of crisis events and a process.
0: Well, and part of that, as you're talking, I'm thinking coming back to your motivations, the what is underneath, uh, what why you're doing what you're doing. Uh, If yeah, that's that's a good evaluation of pride, and that comes back to what we talked about in the previous episode too, of self-evaluation looking through introspection, looking through those things. And in here too, we talk about the purpose of serving others. What, what is that significance in the spiritual formation of having a clearly defined purpose, uh, for being transformed or, or, or developing your spiritual formation?
1: In the previous podcast, we talked about all the multitude of factors that work together to create who we are as an individual. If we don't find a way to rein that in and and have um, this, this goal that we are working toward, it, that is the goal, then we are, um, I don't know who originated this, but I find it funny. I don't know if other people will or not. <laughs> if we don't have a clear goal, living in this world, uh, with all the influences that are a part of this world, we are like the man who jumped on his horse and rode off in all directions. <laughs> yeah. So we're, we, we lack a focus. We lack a purpose. Uh, one, of the, you know, Some of the things that come from having a focus and, and, a, and a purpose is I, it makes it much easier to make a decision. I now have some criteria to go by. So if I have an opportunity to do something, I think, does this fit my purpose? Does this fit my goal in life? If it doesn't, say no. Uh, uh, and it makes so it makes that, you know, decision making process and the daily events um, much much easier. Well, as you as you say that, uh, that sounds good. But that sounds
0: like you may also say no to some very good things. Like you know, it's it's good to serve at church. You may need to say no to that. It's good to serve your community. It's good to. You may have to say no to serving too. Is that fair to say? Uh,
1: In some, I'm going to go out on the limb here and say two things. Okay, (laughs) Okay. I was I was a pastor for two decades, and I've been involved in churches for all but about five of my five years of my life. Churches can um, overuse people so easily and sometimes it is a badge of honor look how many things i'm doing hey growing up i heard the the burnout for jesus burnout for exactly i've heard that it's it's held up it's held up as an ideal uh and not only does that do something to the soul of the person who has burnt out for jesus but it does something to that person's family Mm. Mm. okay um i made a commitment uh when i When I met Peggy, my wife, um, she she said I have, she was an education major in college. I was a religion major. And when first conversation we had, and I said I was a religion major, she said, oh no. I don't want to marry a pastor. (laughs) That's what most people say when they meet a religion major. (laughs) Here it comes again. Uh, and one of the, you know, one of the ongoing conversations that we had was, um, I will not sacrifice my family for the sake of the church. Mm. I will not sacrifice my children for the sake of the church. And I, I feel like there were many times that I pushed beyond, um, what I should have done. And I should have said no to some serving because it took me away. The thing that broke it for me was, uh, in one particular church I was serving, we had one particular individual, uh, he battled alcoholism, and um, he had uh, some major depression and some other things going on in his life. And every you know every so you know eight six, eight weeks, he would go on a bender and just be slobbering drunk and be that for days. And during those times he would call me. And I would usually go and um, just kind of assess what's going on. And sometimes we would admit him and get him into detox, and other times I'd say you just need to stop. When you, you know, I'll help you if I can, but it's up to you. Uh, and you know, have these conversations with him. The um, the two things that happened with him that caused me to to um, change my thinking. Um, one was, uh, he called me and, um, said that he had taken a bunch of pills and chased it with alcohol. And I thought, okay, he's pulled this suicide card before. Um, I'll, I'll hang on the phone here. Let's see what's going on. And I could tell that he was decompensating the longer we talked. So I hung up, I called the police. I said, Hey, here's what's going on. I'll meet you at the department. And so, um, met, met the police officer, told him what was happened, knocked on the door, no answer. Um, one of the most bizarre things I think I've seen in all of my ministry is this police officer was standing in front of the door and he had his hands up holding on to the, the frame and he had his foot in the air, ready to kick the door in. And he turned to me and he said, you know, Sometimes people will kill themselves despite your best efforts. Bang. Kick the door in. And the pill, the empty pill bottles were there and all sorts of empty beer cans and and such was there. And he he was passed out. So we called a squad. We got him into detox and repeat the cycle. The next time he called me, I think it was the very next time, was on Christmas Eve. And he was... In bad shape, I could tell that he was in bad shape. And so I said, I need to go see Joe. That's not his real name. But I told my wife, I need to go see Joe. She said, it's Christmas Eve. I said, yeah, I know. But remember, this guy is potentially suicidal. So I left, I went. Ended up being about a six hour process on Christmas Eve. And at that point I said, never again. And so in future times when he would call, um, I would refer him to someone else to say, you know, would you go check on Joe um, and, um, you know, see what needs to be done. And usually it's just talk him into going to detox, get him in the car, take him over, drop him off, and repeat the cycle. But you have to say no. We have we have to set boundaries around that. Uh, a burnt out minister is ineffective and whether that's the pastor of the church or a Sunday school teacher or a nursery worker or part of the part of the praise team or whomever um, a burnout Christian is ineffective. Well, who knew that part of spiritual formation would be
0: learning how to say no and uh, taking some time for yourself and your family. But that's part of that introspection or self part where you're looking in at the growth. I need to understand myself and understand those influences. Uh, I can't grow what I don't know about, what I don't understand. Uh, and then we have the goal being conformed to the image of Christ, which is a process. And then we have the purpose to serve others and humble the whole time. Can you uh, l- let's look at that that dynamic there of. It may be hard to balance the introspection, the serving. You've already said we can sometimes say no. Um, How do we understand the balance there of looking at myself enough so I can grow, Mm -hmm. looking outwards towards others and understanding the no word, and also balancing the purpose of serving others with the goal of becoming like Christ? Where's the balance in all that?
1: Uh Two things. Um, one is, uh, I didn't say this was easy. <laughs> it's a lifelong process for a reason. Uh, you know, the the influence of living in a fallen world is continual. And so we're always fending off attacks from, from the enemy of our soul. Uh, so it is a battle. And, and sometimes I think Satan plays with those dynamics in is involved so there's spiritual warfare that that is taking place in some cases the uh, the other thing i think i would respond to that is um i don't like the word balance Hmm. balance is uh when when i think of balance i think of the magician that has all the plates spinning And, and the goal is to see how many plates can you keep spinning without any of them dropping And, and you know, if you see one of of these guys doing this, um, I mean, they're really good. They can keep a whole lot of plates spinning. And um, everybody's, ooh, wow. Um, And then uh, we look at our life and we see how many things we have going on and how many different ways we are spread thin. And we're trying to balance that, trying to balance work and family, trying to balance entertainment, trying to balance – uh, fun, trying to balance our spiritual life and spend time with God. And we end up being very much like the person spinning plates and inevitably one of those is going to fall. And so that carries back to single focus. Something has to be primary. Something has to be number one. And if my desire is number number one is to serve God and to live for him and bring glory and honor to him and hopefully in the process reach others for him, uh, everything else becomes secondary to that. But, uh, and this is where I would say, eh, maybe balance works a little bit. Uh, we can't forget our family. We can't forget self care. Uh, we, we have, we have to have that folded into our intrapersonal sense of self that this is how I take care of myself. And the people who are important to me who give me strength and sometimes hold me accountable uh, because they're important to this journey and important to my mission. And so it it isn't a matter then of balancing things. It's more a matter of bringing everything under that one umbrella where we get as much as is possible moving in the same direction.
0: Yeah, it sounds like as you're talking, not only giving focus, purpose, um, and setting those boundaries, those parameters. But as, as we look at it in the context of some of what we learned in that past episode about our past, um, those roles people play in our lives as we're learning, uh, who God is, uh, what our role in life is, what our purpose in life is, we might have to unlearn some things. Um, so let's start cause I do have a question on it to make sure that Well, we'll get there, but reflecting on that, that our, 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 our spiritual formation, how does that process of unlearning play a significant role in our journey towards being conformed to the image
1: of God, the things
0: that we need to unlearn?
1: It's major because the world in so many ways has tried to push us to to make us conform to its image. Uh, and so, um, what does it mean to be a moral person? Uh, you look at, you look at society and you've got, what's your your flavor? What's your flavor? (laughs) Exactly. I mean, there's, there's, you know, almost an unlimited, um, list of options that you can uh, attribute or, you know, adopt as your model of being a moral person. And that goes across the board. What's it mean to be a success Mm -hmm. to me? Some of the most successful people I knew or have, have ever known, um, are you know not successful by the standards of the world. They don't have high paying jobs. They don't live in multi-million dollar homes. They don't drive Ferraris. It's, it's, um, they're successful because the things that matter now and will matter in eternity have been the central focus of their life. And so sometimes we have to look, just take a hard look at ourselves. You know, what is, what have I adopted from the world? and it's the world standard uh, as opposed to God's standard. And sometimes we have to unlearn some things we've learned about God and in church.
0: So I'm hearing in the back of my head some people that might be thinking, okay, I see where they're going. This is all deconstruction stuff, mm. uh, which is a buzzword lately, You know, and, and people are talking about I'm deconstructing my faith and another one of those definitions, what do people actually mean by that? Uh, so are, are we talking about deconstruction here? Uh, are we deconstructing faith to become better at spiritual formation? Uh, is that what we're doing?
1: Absolutely not. Not in my thinking. Uh, I do not like the word deconstruction. I had a bad experience with that. Uh, there's a um, – we have to take so many hours of continuing education, and there was an online course about um, – Deconstructing um, your the spiritual the spiritual trauma of your life or something like that. And as I was reading through the material, uh, a good friend of mine, his name was there, who was endorsing this program, so I signed up. And it was I think twenty sessions or something like that, all about hour long. Wow. And so I got to the sixth, about the sixth session. And the MC host uh, came on and he said, well, welcome to our atheist conference on deconstructionism. Uh, and I, I listened for about another 10 minutes and sure enough, the speaker was just headed right there for it. Mm. And that has become such a powerful buzzword. I have clients who, who def, you know, define themselves as having deconstructed and now they're identifying as atheists. It's a thing that's going on in our culture and our society that I think is incredibly dangerous. Uh, for me, the reality is there is sometimes, not every, in every case, but there there are times when um, we've been taught things that just simply aren't scriptural. Mm-hmm. We've been held to standards that are unrealistic. We've been told things that had a powerful influence on us. One of the, and I grew up in a holiness tradition, a very conservative church of the Nazarene. Um, one of the uh, real challenges of setting those standards so high that sometimes they're unattainable is it brings such levels of shame to us that it becomes very difficult to function. Shame, guilt says I have done something wrong. Shame says I am something wrong. And if I am feeling like there is something fundamentally wrong with me, mm-hmm. how do I feel comfortable in God's presence? Mm-hmm. If I go to the Lord in prayer and I'm telling myself, you know, I'm truly filthy rags, uh, how do I feel comfortable being in his presence asking for anything so the reality is that there are unfortunately things that we would define as spiritual trauma or spiritual abuse and i think in most of the cases that i deal with um the person who caused the harm did not intend to cause the harm Sure. But it was their life experiences that them to that point where that is the way that they were conceptualizing what it means to be a faithful follower of Christ. So I don't like the word deconstruction because of what it means. There's, it's it's just um, it's a dangerous term, I think, these days. I've thought, okay, is there an option? Um, I play around with wood every once in a while, so I think, how about remodeling. <laughs> <laughs> well, the one phrase
0: I heard that they really helped because you know, you, you, if you if you go back at all in your spiritual journey to look at things and take a deep dive into what your faith journey has been to that point and do the things we're saying, look at what have I learned, what have been the influences, where am I at all with the foundation of scripture. You know, then you're like, okay, Am I deconstructing? is I've heard this term? Is that something I'm doing? But the phrase I heard which is is fantastic is just I'm doing a deep audit of my faith. Um, you know and it's a biblical principle too, you know the, the, the whole chaff, the wheat, all that throwing. Mm-hmm. yeah. so with that, you know it, it can be a good thing always as we also talked about what are my motivations? What's the source of this? Uh, and understanding too when we get into it, what am I feeling? Right now, it, it is this burning sensation that may be shame. Where where did I pick up that shame? Mm-hmm. Who spoke into my life and transferred or gave me this feeling of shame? And that requires a lot of deep, and I'm talking deep work yes. to go back to places you may never want to visit. Absolutely, and understand, and even in some cases, give back shame to individuals. Mm-hmm. Learn shame. So mm-hmm. that's a whole other episode too. And so as we're talking about unlearning, though, let's talk about, too, there may be personality traits um, that are unique to individuals as they're going to these things. So re- reflecting maybe on personalities, personhood, how do life experiences, both positive and negative, shape our personal development and also into spiritual formation? And how do we balance those, um, if, if that makes sense?
1: I think so. <laughs> um, our personality is, you know, the, the beginnings of our shaping our personality start at birth. It's you know the, the example that I, the example that I often use is that as, as an infant, if if I'm fed right away when I'm hungry, changed right away when I'm dirty, soothed right away when I'm fussy, uh, I'm probably going to to feel pretty good about I mean, okay this is an okay world it's it's safe can't verbalize it but emotionally we can feel it even as a as a newborn you get up to about 18 months 20 months 24 months somewhere you know language is now beginning to come online and we can start framing things and, and the cognitive side of the of the brain is, is you know lighting up and it's there's some incredible growth spurts that incur, occur occurred during the early years and um, the relationships that we are in, the experiences that we have, become very deeply embedded in, in our sense of self, in our sense of the world. We have billions of neurons in the brain. We have trillions of connections between those neurons. Uh, the the saying uh, is, "Neurons that wire together or fire together wire together." And so, when I start thinking a, a certain way and I do that repetitively, there's a neural pathway that is built in my brain. When I start doing things um, like riding a bicycle, you know, when we first learned to ride a bicycle, it's really difficult to coordinate steering, pedaling, balance. Oh, I'm going you know, through oldest. that with both of my
0: girls right now.
1: Yeah. <laughs> yes. It can be a challenge you know, and, and so, uh, the brain is working really hard to try to manage all these things. And then you get to the place where finally the brain has enough information that says, oh, you do these things together mm-hmm. and, and it works like this. And then it becomes so natural. It moves that from really the prefrontal cortex of our brain into, uh, uh, what we call implicit memory. And you just jump on your bike and you take off riding. and You don't give it a second thought. There are neural pathways built around that process. That works in every every piece of learning in our life. That play, That comes into play, those neural pathways. And the things that we have done in the past have shaped those neural pathways. And the things that we do today have the ability to either make those neural pathways even stronger or to weaken them. So, if I have a behavior in my life that I want to stop, one of the toughest things to do is say, you know, stop a habit. A habit's hard to stop because you've got multiple neural pathways probably built around that. The easiest way to stop a habit is to start a new habit mm-hmm. that is different, healthier, or desirable. And every time you get triggered to do the old thing, you say, nah, I'm not going to do that anymore. I'm going to do this instead. Now I am creating a new pathway that is much healthier and the old pathway is beginning to weaken. Mm. It will never go away, but it can be weakened. It can be kind of back in the shadows where it doesn't come to the forefront. But if I decide 20 years down the road to go back to that behavior, we'll pick up right where we left off. So
0: I hear what you're saying. And it's first of all, not what I want to hear uh, because, you know, as we're talking about, becoming more like Christ, becoming mm-hmm. perfect like Christ is, it seems like if we go through those uh, uh, spiritual disciplines to move beyond an obstacle, conquer something in our life and you know become more Christ-like. if we're not if we go on autopilot, <laughs> then we can go right into the motion of something we, we used to do. And as we're talking about it's the personality traits, the personhood, mm-hmm. those things that have shaped and developed us. Um, it sounds like you're talking about spiritual discipline as the way to conform ourselves to Christ. I don't like that because that's, that's, (laughs) that's too much work. It is hard work.
1: work. (laughs) It is hard work. And it's the, it's the kind of thing. It's almost like the carrot on the stick. It's always seems just out of reach. Got to work a little harder. Mm -hmm. Got to do more of this. Mm -hmm. Got to do more of that. Why? Well, because we live in a fallen world and we're continually under the influence. We've, and it's a spiritual battle. And, and so it, you know, we've got a choice. I can just be passive and, and ride it out, but I'm going to succumb at some point to the spiritual battle because the enemy is out there prowling. But if I want to, if I want to stay strong and effective, I've got to be intentional about doing the Christ-like thing every day. You know Richard Foster's work, Celebration of Discipline, written forty some years ago, I think, uh, is still still a classic. And, um, and I did notice I was as as I uh, was preparing for this, I, I looked that up on on Amazon, and uh, they have a new edition out. It came out in to, in two thousand twenty one, and they've added a, a new subtitle. So it's a Celebration of Discipline, uh, and I think it's something to do like. Uh, for live for people living in an instant society or something mm-hmm. like that. Mm-hmm. So, uh, interesting thing about that: twelve classic disciplines, which I can't name off the top of my head, but so, you know some of the obvious: prayer, scripture reading, fasting, um, meditation, worship, um, service. Uh, twelve of them. One of the the twelve that he wrote about in celebration of the discipline was simplicity. He got more feedback on that chapter than any other chapter in the book. And so he followed that up with another book called The Freedom of Simplicity, hmm. yeah. and uh, which is a wonderful book, and it talks to us about kind of decluttering our lives. And it becomes increasingly difficult in our world that offers us everything you just jump on Amazon and you order it. Some days, some days it's delivered the same day. Uh, we live in a in a world that is built on, you know, pretty close to instant gratification. And in those things, you know, we have to we have to stop and analyze: Is this really something that is consistent with the person that I want to be, or is this something that's going to lead me down a path that maybe it's not evil in and of itself, but it takes me away from my first love and my first goal in life, and um, that's that's the choices that we have to make over and over again, and it and it is difficult. It, it really is, and um, wow, I, I wish there was just a flip that we could switch, and all of a sudden now we're St. Paul, and <laughs> um, but that's just not the way it seems to work.
0: So this is really a, a way that kind of science and the Bible come together once again, spiritual discipline. We've heard it. I've I've heard it all growing up, went to classes on it in college. Uh, you know, you build habits, you build spiritual disciplines, and these keep you on that spiritual formation journey. But then you're also bringing in that, that science side of it, the neural pathways are formed with repetition and actual choices that we make. So maybe if we can talk about everyday life, because we've talked a lot about the things that affect us, what we're learning, uh, our view of God, all those things are building up to what are we doing in life that is keeping us on a journey, because we know it's a continual pro- process of spiritual formation, becoming like Christ so we can serve others and glorify God. What are some of those tips and tricks, I don't know if that's the word for it, for hmm. building neural George. pathways. So that we can uh, move forward on our our spiritual journeys.
1: Yeah. Um, I don't know. I don't know. There's tips and tricks necessarily as much as it is a matter of repetition. Mm. It's 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 doing the two things that's important is frequency and and consistency. Is is to be able to to do what I'm needing to do in order to facilitate that change to think differently. We live in a sexualized world. Okay, so um, my wife likes for me to go shopping with her at Kroger. I don't necessarily enjoy it, but I go because she, she's important to me. And also I get to pick some food. So. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but you're liable to see women in there in all stages of dress. And you know one of the battles that we know that we fight in this culture is looking lustfully at another person, um, the sexual fantasies that come from that. And, you know, it can spin off into something where we treat full blown sexual addiction, where people's behavior is just completely out of control. You don't just wake up one morning and decide, I'm going to be an alcoholic or um, a chronic liar or a sex addict or a gambling addict or any of these things. The process of getting into that place where we are in bondage to it is doing those same things over and over and over again. The same thing is true for Christian living if if my goal is to live a life that is as christ-like as is possible then i need to know i need to be reading the gospels and and understanding this is how jesus interacted with people this is the attitude that he demonstrated toward people these are the things that he said that are important in terms of how to live the life what's expected of us Uh, this is who the father is i mean there's tons of stuff just in the gospels not not to mention you know the rest of scripture uh, and to be able to be very knowledgeable about that, and to be able to think about in any given situation, or the phrase that's been around for decades, "What would Jesus do?" and and do that consistently. Now, the problem there is some that criticize that that statement. Okay, uh, Dallas Willard is one of them, and I don't know what Dallas Willard knew about uh, neuroscience when he wrote about this but he said uh, that actually that that approach of asking ourselves what would Jesus do is a bit flawed because if I get into a situation and I have to stop and ask what would Jesus do in all likelihood I'm probably too far into that situation already my thoughts maybe even some of my behaviors have already begun to kick into gear if there's a neural pathway around that it's already fired up and so he used uh, surgeons as an example and I don't know I know some surgeons, but I, I don't know if this is true or not but he said surgeons will practice sewing sutures until they they just they don't even have to look at what they're doing they just it's automatic and, and so uh, he said, you know, we, these things we take, we take something, you know, one at a time, we can't take every aspect of life, but the way that I look at another woman would be an example. And, um, I over and over and over and over again, when some, something presents itself to me, that is not what I want to see that I immediately turn away and, and I don't think about Uh, going back for a second look or whatever. Uh, I don't play with that image in my mind. Uh, I turn away and um, do that until that becomes second nature, like the surgeon with sutures. Uh, And when we do that, now what we are doing is we, we really are. We're getting loving God with our whole heart, soul, mind, and strength. It's not just the way that I'm thinking, but it's even the way the brain is functioning. And and I really think he was onto something on that integration there of, you know, what does God expect of us in life? And how can we use our body that he created? He created that model there of all the neurons and all the abilities to, to create those neural pathways. That's his design. And so maybe now we're working with him at a whole new level in terms of the recreation of our mind. Mm-hmm. It yeah. Doesn't negate the importance and the power of crisis events, but it builds upon them. Well, it sounds like uh,
0: God knew something about neuroplasticity, <laughs> uh, from the very beginning, even saying, you know, train up a child in the way they should go. Exactly. Uh, and when they, yeah, they won't depart from it. So with some of this, um, and, and you mentioned crisis moments in our faith and the perfection of our faith. So well, let's go there with this. As we're striving and working uh, towards becoming more Christ-like, how can we imbal- make, a, I know you don't like the word balance, how can we balance, though, the the importance of grace, growth, uh, without kind of falling into that, that performance-based approach uh, to our faith, to spiritual development and formation,
1: the heart of um, the heart of the relationship with God is the connection, the relationship, not my performance. Now, my performance is important, no doubt. Okay, because we—I mean, it's it's very clear in Scripture. There are some things there seem to be fine and and even some that are encouraged and others that just say no you don't do that so our performance is important but it's only part of the picture it's the relationship that matters and um i i just if we forget if we forget that then i think we do fall into that performance trap that it's just, okay, I, I get up, I don't do this, I don't do this, I did this, I did this, I did this, all right, I've got all the boxes checked, everything's good. That's kind of cold and, and um, not much not much heart in it. Uh, it has the potential of really being rather mundane and can be challenging if the expectations for performance are set really high for me it can be really, really challenging, which puts us back into that shame shadow once again.
0: There there comes that shame component again. Um, so, you know, we talked about the finding where a great opportunity. Where does that come from? Uh, where, where is What does that mean for me? But as I'm hearing you talk about, we're talking about everyday life and spiritual formation, some of the things that we can do. Uh, I'm I'm hearing that you know this is something that maybe those that aren't even in the Christian world could get on board with. Like, well, yeah, neuropathways, pathways, uh, discipline. Uh, this is simply character development. Uh, so let's go through are the ABCs of character development, and this is good. Um, so l- let me ask you this: as we're talking about everyday life and spiritual formation, speak to that relationship between spiritual formation and spiritual. Uh, or excuse me, personal character development. What's the difference there? Uh, and maybe also continue on your road of things we can do in our everyday life with the character development side of it. Where does that differ from what the world wants to do with character development?
1: The focus is the primary difference. Um, within spiritual formation, we have that defined purpose of being conformed to the image of Christ for the sake of others. Um, and that's not the only definition. That's just the, the one that, at least through this podcast, we're kind of hanging things on. But they all they all do revolve around that sense of how do I get to know God more fully? How do I allow my, put myself in a position where I am uh, being used by God more effectively? That's the spiritual formation side of things character development can be all that you know if i mean if i'm involved in in those kind of spiritual disciplines and practices uh my character is going to change okay um if you step outside the field of spiritual formation just about any area you look at in the business world and in, in um entrepreneurship and just i mean there's books after you know book after book after book that's out there about you know how to how to change this or how to be more successful at that or and a lot of that is um uh just i mean really good simple as much as change can be simple um uh, do this and do it consistently um i just i just finished listening to a book on audible um uh, title is escaping me, but it's, um, um, intentional, intentional struggles, I think was the name of it. And, um, the author was a, one of the top, um, wrestling coaches, college wrestling coaches in America. And he was talking about being intentional about going the extra mile to be the best that you can be. And and he applied this to many areas of life. And and, um, he is a Christian. He professes to be a Christian. And so he talked about, you know, what am I willing to do to suffer? Mm -hmm. Uh, And that may may mean give up. Uh, Everybody's, you know, saying, hey, you know, we won the wrestling match. Let's all go out to the bar and celebrate. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. No, you guys be safe. Have fun. I got other things. Uh, And so they can overlap. Uh, But it's the choices that we make, and and the key difference is the focus. And so, I mean, look on Amazon for character development. I'd say you'd probably find thousands of of books that are there, hundreds at least, but maybe even thousands. Well, let's Mm -hmm. let's go there Mm because as we're talking about
0: uh, the things that we can do, uh, Mm -hmm. you've mentioned things like prayer, Mm -hmm. uh, introspection, meditation, finding a professional that can mentor you. All those things as we've gone through here but uh, you, you talk about reading um, mm-hmm. are there and, and maybe bring this from your own journey uh, what are some of those spiritual disciplines and practices including reading maybe that have been instrumental in your own life as you've been on a spiritual formation journey
1: well um, one of the one of the uh, hazards of being a pastor is that you have to study the Bible professionally. Hazards. <laughs> it's only one of the hazards. Because <laughs> <laughs> um, you you have to study the Bible to teach a class. You study the Bible to preach a sermon. And so it becomes, uh, potentially, becomes an academic exercise. And, and the devotional side of that can, for some people, fall to the wayside. Uh, and um, if you're a very busy pastor, you have a lot of other things going on in life that's a that's a real problem for some people. Um uh, it's a problem for me uh, at times. And what I had to do was I had to set a structure for myself and say uh, I'm I'm going to spend x amount of minutes just reading scripture uh not for the purpose of gaining material for a sermon, not for the purpose of teaching, just for me. And uh there are different levels and um Boy, this sounds horrible. I'm going to venture out here and say it, but one of my professors—I blame it on my, one of my professors—said never underestimate the biblical knowledge of your congregation. Uh, it's some are exceedingly well versed; many, not even close. And um, you have to—you have to. Think about how do we go about teaching people to study the Bible, both for the content, for the message, the storyline, all the stuff that's there. What did God do? What does he expect of us? Uh, What is sin? Getting the the terminology correct. But also the relational component of that, of realizing that when we pick up Scripture and start reading that, we're essentially reading a letter that God has written to us. And, And so it's an opportunity for us to bring a relational aspect into that. And so, especially in the Gospels, um, I can, uh, a lot of the Old Testament passages where you have a story of something that was going on, you can combine some spiritual disciplines there. You're reading scripture, but if I visualize, um, what would it be like? And so, Jesus is walking along the road and comes across the disciples uh, on the road to Emmaus, and... They begin talking, uh, and um, he's unfolding the scriptures to them as he as he goes, uh, and then he goes in has supper with them and such. And they realize he leaves, and they realize who was this? This was this was the Christ. This is the risen Lord. Did not our hearts burn within us? You know? And so, um, if I put that into kind of a vision, or 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 meditation I can think about when well, I'm walking down a dirt path and uh, in that day I probably would have sandals on and I can feel some of the sand and maybe a pebble that gets up into my my sandal I can feel the um, the wool from the robe that I'm wearing brushing against my legs uh, the sun is shining over here in the fields a farmer working uh, here are some birds that are chirping and, and singing uh, I'm here and here's this person who is explaining the scriptures to me in a way that I've never heard before. and there was an excitement and I, I felt this thing it was welled up within me thinking, wow, this is new this is this is I've never thought about it like this and and then come into our home and we're having dinner and our eyes are open so to speak mm-hmm. and we realize who this is. And what would it have been like to be one of those disciples on the road to Emmaus? And now I have gone beyond, oh, that's a nice story. Uh, here's another time in which Jesus declared that you know, He is risen. Um, but now it's personal, because I've put myself in the story. And, and that's one of the ways you're combining sort of a meditation type, type thing with scripture and I would say it's a really rich and powerful way to bring those stories to life. Um, I would not want that to be the only way that I study scripture, mm-hmm. but, but I think that it is a, a powerful way to help it to really come alive for us. Um, the other thing that I find in terms of educating around scriptural study is uh, just the background. You know, who, was the, who are the books written to? You know, when were they written? What was going on in the culture of the day when, when the books were written? And we don't have to you know, spend vast amounts of money on commentaries and those kind of things. There's tons of stuff on the Internet that's good and reputable. Uh, and it just gets some guidance around the good sources versus the sketchy ones and because uh, they're out there too. So, um, But, you know, Bible reading, uh, some meditation stuff, Prayer, obviously, is, is important. Um, over over the years, my prayer life has um, demonstrated itself in two different ways. Um, well, three, I guess, counting public prayers, because every place a pastor goes, they're asked to pray. So. Um, but uh, one is the traditional just praying um, for the things that's on my heart and, and spending time with God. And... Um, I've been told by professors and I've read in books uh, people who say that in our prayer we need to be silent as much as we talk yeah. because we don't often just pause and listen to what God might be saying, you know, what is stirring in our heart, uh, what's this idea that I can't seem to shake, and to just you know, not only pray and talk to God, uh, but also to to listen and give God the opportunity. Um, Dallas Willard has a book, uh, one of his earlier books, I think it came out in a second edition later on, um, talking about the fact that God has that ability. All through Scripture, God was speaking to people, and nobody nobody thought anything. I mean, of it. It just God speaks, we hear. Uh, and he made the point that in modern times, if we say God said to me, uh, it's like saying I saw a UFO last night, you know, people are going to look at us like, sure. Right. Okay. It's the same. God, God hasn't changed. You know, our ability to pause and be before him and be open and receptive may well have changed. Um, but I, I truly believe that that's a, a, a skill set that we can begin working on and develop and and make a, a reality in our life. Now, will that happen every time we pray? It hasn't for me. You know, some people are very seem to be they report uh, very very good at making that connection, uh, and they they hear. I mean, it's not an audible, but they they hear a message. Yeah. Other times it's impressions. Uh, other times it's just um, like a that thought that I just can't seem to shake. Uh, but thinking about prayer, the different ways in which to to experience that. Uh, quickly, one of the one of the best ways that I have um, learned to pray is uh, as an old old tradition. But it's taking uh, a passage of scripture, uh, like the Lord's Prayer you can break the Lord's prayer down into seven petitions and you can, um, I wrote them out on a three by five card just because I'm obsessive compulsive about <laughs> making sure I get it right. Uh, you know, Sunday, uh, is, uh, God, our, our, the Lord's prayer first part of my mind's a thousand different places. But you break it into those seven phrases and it, it really divides up very evenly. And, and so that day, you make it your prayer. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, our Father, you know, how to be thy name. Um, and it's praise. And so uh, we work our way through. You can also do that, and this comes from, this comes from a, a book, uh, Could You Not Tarry One Hour, uh, is work through all seven of those petitions in one setting. And if we do that, I found it does take about an hour uh, to work through that and, and really get the benefit of each of the seven. So we start out with praise. Uh, we talk about our needs. We talk about forgiveness, uh, the importance of for, you know, us being forgiving and forgiving other, other people uh, so that relational dynamic comes back into play. There's also some marvelous prayers that have come to us from other traditions, um, you know, for for um, centuries, you know, all we, all we had was the church. Um, and then uh, the church split in, into the West and to the East. And the Eastern branch was more of a Greek Orthodox kind of a, a faith system. And um, the West was more of a Roman and Catholic system. Um, there, there are you know, authors and, and people's lives you know, who are incredibly rich and instructive. But there's a simple prayer that comes from the Eastern tradition that um, Christians around the world pray this regularly. Uh, Lord Jesus, Son of God, Savior, have mercy on me, a sinner. And it's just that. And and just you just pray that. Every time it comes to mind, you just pray that. And... Um, <clears throat> I was teaching on this um, at one point, and I actually had a person stand up and say, I don't need to say that I'm a sinner. And uh, I said, Well, thank you, brother, for your opinion. <laughs> <laughs> this is not the place to debate that. <laughs> uh, I'm not judging you. I'm just saying, you know, we always need grace in our life. And you know, that is, that prayer is a humbling kind of prayer. You know, Lord Jesus, Son of God, Savior, have mercy on me. I need your mercy. I need your grace. Um, and name it, I'm a sinner. Uh, and that, that you know, the way we would not look at sin in, in the life of a, of a follower would not be the same way that we would look at sin as a person who has not made a commitment to Christ. Uh, and, and those, you know, those crisis events are important and it does, they, they do make a tremendous difference in people's lives, but to continue to say, I still need your grace, Lord, I still can't do this on my own. Uh, and, and so that that's sort of a, um, people, the other, the other criticism I hear from this is that sounds like what Jesus was saying, don't do, don't stand on the corner and pray your fancy mm-hmm. prayers. Mm-hmm. We're not standing on the corner praying this aloud. This is private. And so it's just for us and God. And and so it's not that kind of thing where we're trying to do this to make ourselves look more spiritual. It's it's what's going on within us. Uh, real, real quickly, another spiritual discipline that has been powerful for me. And honestly, I do not do it all the time. I kind of move into it and do it for a while and then I'll drop it for a while and then I'll come back to it journaling. Mm. And uh, some of the most powerful um spiritual experiences that I've had actually came out of journaling. And um, uh, it um, it's not like a diary, you know, dear diary I saw Nate night today. <laughs> <laughs> um, it's uh, the way I would journal is um, you know, a book that I would be reading. And, you know, I read a chapter and I think for a few minutes, okay, what's the takeaway for this chapter? And I would journal about the content You know, they think about, okay, how do I apply this to my life? And that way I'm taking, I'm taking not just what the author said in the book and yeah, okay, I read that and I, yeah, I get it. Uh, I'm saying, I want to apply this to my life. And then what's neat about this, if you keep those journals, you can go back years later and you've got a track record there seeing the progress that you've made in terms of your journey of faith. Well,
0: and looking back at progress, we mentioned earlier, like this can seems like some sort of never ending journey with no progress. Uh, but looking back and actually seeing progress can be helpful as I'm listening to you too. And I want to jump into that part of, of this affecting others in our relationship with others. Um, but I can see how the, the foundation we've set of understanding ourselves and understanding the negative aspects of our lives, the traumas, big T, little T, how those uh, affect our spiritual formation can be, understanding that is is huge because you mentioned maybe sitting in quietness with God. Well, some people don't even want to sit with themselves in, in the quiet. Mm-hmm. And if you haven't gone through and looked at and understand your story and how that affects your spiritual formation, your view of God, man, if your view of God is is wrong, I don't want to sit with that person. It, it, that it's personhood is scary. Unco- yeah, scary, yeah. uncomfortable, all those things. Mm-hmm. Uh, we just won't go there. Right. Um, or untrustworthy. Uh, mm-hmm. Can I even trust what he says? Do I want to listen to someone I can't trust? Um, so, yeah, understanding our story uh, and how that affects. So with the spiritual formation, we talked about those Those aspects, uh, the continual process of growth, being conformed to the image of Christ, purpose of serving others, the humility aspect in the process. So let's look at that serving others through. We've gone through the everyday life of spiritual formation. Some ways that we can actually develop it, um, understanding our part in it. But how does this, especially when you think about uh, uh, just being with others and how important relationship is. how does relationship and building relationships how are those affected if we do those things you're
1: talking about i really believe that if we're serious about the things that we're doing in terms of spiritual formation that um you know i want to be authentic in in my dealings with god as as possible now the qualifier that you just mentioned is a it's a factor you know if if um my view of God is an authoritarian God, and I'm carrying tons of shame, mm. it's gonna be hard to relate. But to the best of our, our ability, you know, I want my devotional time and my spiritual disciplines to reflect a relationship with God, uh, where it's tangible, I can feel it. I want the same thing in my relationships with others. And we can't relate at a, at a really intimate level with more than just a few people because we just don't have the bandwidth emotionally to do that. Uh, and obviously our family is going to be first in that our spouses, our children, you know, those, those are going to be primary in terms of the horizontal relationships. Um, but if you step back a little bit, you know, if you had you know, a scale of one to 10 or whatever, in terms of the connection and the level of intimacy, um, you know, there should be a good group of people there that are fairly high on that scale. They're not first and foremost. And, uh, you know, there's things that I would not share with them maybe. And, and, um, you know, maybe limit some of the time that I spend with them, but still they're close. Uh, if there's a, if there's uh, an issue, I want to be there for them. Uh, and I know they would be there for me. Uh, and then there's those that you hardly know. Mm-hmm. And, and so, um, If we open our life and have a level of receptivity so that in any exchange that I have with any other person, I'm open to wherever that will go. If that person wants to have a serious conversation and my schedule will allow it, sure, I'll listen. Um, The people we encounter throughout the, the course of the day, the cashier Uh, at a store the um uh you stop and get gas and you know there's a person at the pump beside us and uh you you know they look and nod and say hi and you know we respond how's your day going you know it doesn't have to be intimate we're not we're not trying to gain anything from that other than just being open and receptive uh and, and what drives that for me, honestly, is two things. One is, I just kind of feel like that's what Jesus would have done. Mm. He would meet people, I think it's show, he showed that over and over again, he would meet people where they are. Um, the other thing is, we desperately need that in our world today. We are so disconnected, we're isolated. We are um, divided around so many different issues it's not just politics. It's re, it's religion. It's wealth. It's the list goes on, um, and we we just need some civility, and I think that can be a, a level of of a spiritual practice. Well, you talk about that division. So let me ask you this: How does
0: there's really a cultural trend for that ineffective communication. Mm -hmm. It's it's almost seemingly like sometimes people are trying not to understand each other, but how does that cultural trend of ineffective communication impact our ability to live out the model of Jesus, prioritizing others' needs over our own? Because it seems like sometimes, too, when we're talking about putting up boundaries or uh, uh, going to do uh, work to become a better person and grow, a lot of it is what can I get out of this? Well, I need to set up a boundary for me. I need to do this work for me. Mm-hmm. I am in a relationship with that mentor, that person for me, and we're kind of flipping the script here. Mm-hmm. Uh, how does that ineffective communication trend, it really goes in the face of mm-hmm. you know what Jesus was do, pri- doing, prioritizing others, and our goal in this is to serve others. Yes.
1: Um. Yeah, great point. I think uh, when we make it about us, that that should be a warning sign, uh, because you know, to love God with all my heart, soul, mind, and strength, and my neighbor as myself. Uh, I don't see a lot of room for selfishness in there. Mm. And and I'm not saying we should become a doormat and be walked all over, and not have firm boundaries around what's appropriate and inappropriate. Um, but, um, I, the stance that I get is, is it's not only that people are, uh, it's all about me kind of a mentality, but, uh, these days it, people seem to have even take that a step further and, and have an agenda. Not only, not only do I have strong opinions about X, Y, and Z, I need to tell you about it and I need to make sure that you understand why this is so important. And so they have this agenda and you can, you can get into major arguments very easily with, with these people that are, pick the topic. I mean, a sports fan, you know, you you get (laughs) some sports fans. You just, you just don't say anything critical about the Reds or the Bengals, (laughs) you know, you've got an (laughs) argument on your hands. Um, And uh, other, you know, there's so many other issues in our culture, but that to me is a real warning sign when I can't get out of my own way to be civil in a conversation, there's something going on within me. Now, if the other person is coming at me with that attitude, uh, I'd probably say, hmm, I don't think that person is ready for a meaningful conversation right now. And I'll get myself out of that pretty quickly. (laughs) Well, what I'm hearing
0: you say is, a lot of it is just being mindful. Yes. Intentional mindfulness. And even when someone's coming at you, understanding, I don't think this conversation is actually about me. This is something you need. need." Maybe don't verbalize that to them in the moment. It's probably not the moment. All right. We are, we're about out of time here, but as we're coming to a close, if, if there's something you want to leave, uh, the, the listeners with from this, this episode, what we've talked about so far Um, something you want them to think about. Uh, you know, we do have another episode coming up. We're going to be talking about, you know, the historical writings and ways that people can dig into that. It turns out we aren't the first people to talk about this. Probably. I, you know, I'm not even the smartest person to talk about this stuff. So, you know, there's lots of people, traditions, writings that we can lean on. We're going to dig deep into that. But for this episode, if you want to leave the listener with, with something, um, something to encourage them, something else they can
1: work on maybe. From Tim, what would that be? You will be shaped by something. The the gift that God has given to us is the ability to make choices about what it is, who it is that shapes us. And if I make that choice that I want God to be the one who shapes me and I work together and cooperate with him around that, it happens. If I don't, put that effort into it, the world will shape me.
0: Always moving forward. You're always being shaped. Mm -hmm. It's just you actually get to choose what's going to do the shaping. Yes. Uh, It's up to you. Well, uh, thank you for coming on this episode. We'll have you back for another one. Uh, But thank you so much for taking the time. Thank you. It's good to be here. And for you, the listener, thank you so much for listening in. Uh, If you're listening on Apple Podcasts, go ahead and give us a five-star rating, follow, and drop a review. If you're listening on Spotify, give us a follow there and hit that notification bell so you never miss an episode. Like I say, every time there's no us without you. So get engaged, continue on your journey of restoration. Uh, We'll see you in two weeks for a new episode. And until then, we'll be praying for you.